the clear appeal is understanding that everybody is mostly irrational, that, that the human default state is irrationality. It's not rationality. And that markets are dog-eat-dog. Dog. Trading is war. And so when you kind of combine all these ideas together, that's what the clear pill is. It's understanding that you really shouldn't listen to anybody because they're either lying for their own benefit. They're, they're maybe unconsciously biased in different ways, right? Or they're just completely irrational. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Daily Bread podcast. Your host, David here. So I was looking at the block news that came out this week, the the, the scandal that they got caught up in. For those who don't know, just a quick 30-second recap. Uh, the block, which is considered one of the more prestigious journalism outlets in crypto, you know, if we can call journalism outlets prestigious, but they were widely considered one of the more reliable, trustworthy sources of news in crypto. Uh, they got caught up in a scandal this week because apparently the CEO and founder of the block took uh, about $27 million from SBF from Sam and did not disclose this to anybody and it just it just came out now uh, in the in the past week. And a lot of people obviously were surprised by this, including people at the block themselves who, you know, did not know. Uh, you know, there are questions about uh, maybe certain people at the top may or may not have known that my, that might come out or not. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on that. I, I, I reserve any judgment for actual evidence and anything like this. And the response, though, is what was more interesting to me because, um, you know, I don't think that the block's coverage was like, you know, overtly biased in 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 some specific way uh, in favor of Sam or against other people. But but that that's not really the point. The point isn't necessarily about the block. The point was more the reaction around all of this. The reaction was like this general kind of shock around around crypto uh, that that something like this could happen that a media outlet could be could be potentially paid off in some way and you know the reality is this isn't surprising at all and again this isn't a block specific thing it just came on my mind because you know we, we saw this happen this week and it had me thinking, I think a lot of people are still confused as to kind of how this game works. And what I mean by this game, I mean the game of not just crypto and, and you know, not just even trading, but like, you know, finance more broadly. Like the idea that there aren't unspoken truths that exist. And I guess it's one of those things that you just have to be in the game long enough to really understand. And what I mean by that is like, let's go to, to, to tr traditional finance for a second. Look at an outlet like MSNBC, or I'm sorry, CNBC, wrong one. CNBC, well, you know, MSNBC, we could get into that too, but let's, let's not get into that. Um, CNBC is a finance outlet 
And, you know, to the average Joe, it's seen as like a pretty reliable source for news and information. And they have all these shows throughout the day, all day long. And they interview hedge fund managers and CEOs of companies and all types of people. The thing that everybody on the inside knows, right, everybody who actually works in finance, is that CNBC is kind of a joke, right? No one really, like, pays attention to CNBC in any type of way that would be a expecting them to be a reliable source of information that you can trust and let alone actually get some type of, you know, trading alpha or anything like that from that would be that would be insane but for people on the outside they don't see it that way they just see it as like oh this is a reliable news outlet that i can trust and you know when some hedge fund manager goes on cnbc he's talking about things that he really believes you know he's talking about investments that he thinks are good when in reality he's talking his book right he, he's he's talking he wants you to buy the things that he owns and it's part of the game and people understand this who play the game and and crypto is no different right there's there's this idea of like like meta games in crypto kobe actually wrote a great article about this um i don't know earlier this year and it's the idea that there are there are meta games in crypto and it's it wasn't his original idea he just you know he uh articulated it very well there are meta games in everything and and crypto is no different and one of those metagames is that the people who fund all of these journalism and news outlets are also the ones funding the projects and the protocols that these outlets write about. You know, one of the reasons that the block was seen as this kind of better, more, more holier than thou source of news was that they were uh, entirely like employee owned. Because they had raised money initially years ago, but then last year, the founder did a buyout of the initial investors so that he could restructure the company and give certain employees ownership and then own most of it himself. And the story is, according to, to you know some of the, the people at the block, that they thought that he had a rich family and that they were the ones who gave him, I think it was 13 million was the first payment, and then he got another 15 million, something like that. And it's like, so they thought that his rich family just gave him $13 million so that he could buy out the initial investors. They didn't ask any questions about this, even though they're supposed to be investigative journalists who literally investigate finance for a living. Okay. Again, not making any accusations, just more of like, it doesn't look good either way, is kind of the point there. But then it comes out, no, he didn't actually have a rich family or anything. That was all a lie. It was Sam. Sam paid him. And then, you know, the, the, the shock and horror is that, oh, they could have had biased coverage. And to me, I'm like, everyone has biased coverage. There isn't a crypto news outlet that doesn't have biased coverage. Because they're all, just go look at the investors and owners of all of these different groups, right? Go look at uh, Coindesk. Who owns Coindesk? Digital Currency Group, Barry Silbert, Grayscale, right? That's who owns Coindesk, right? If you look at the, the investors who are funding all of these, it's pretty much all the same people that are also funding all the projects. Is there a bias there, potentially? Directly, no, probably not. You know, the thing is that people misunderstand about kind of corruption, if we want to call it that, 
is that it's not always direct, right? It doesn't mean that the CEO gets a check from, you know, some VC that's invested in this project. And then they're saying, you know, they tell all the employees, hey, don't write anything negative about this project, right? It's not that overt. It tends to be subtle and it tends to happen kind of slowly over time. Uh, you know, another example of this that's kind of perfect timing to show you exactly what I mean is the the Twitter stuff that's all coming out this week. If any of you have followed the uh, the Twitter files that Elon has been releasing a little, a little, honestly, a little, a little much for me to kind of dramatize it like this. They're kind of turning it into a, uh, a dramatization. But anyways, the point is, if you haven't seen this, I recommend you go look because it's, it's basically confirming what everybody already knew but couldn't fully prove, which is that Twitter was completely politically biased and banning people who didn't have the correct opinions and suppressing people who didn't have the correct opinions and working directly with the FBI, the, 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 uh, the uh, State Department, all these people to control speech on Twitter. I mean, this was, it was obvious for anybody who like used Twitter, you could just tell right? It's it's not that hard to tell, but you couldn't prove it, right? Because you didn't have the back end to prove it. And now obviously, Elon is releasing the truth. He's releasing all these slack messages. He's releasing the literal portal, you know, Twitter denied forever that they don't shadow ban, they don't do anything like that. And then it comes out that in the in the Twitter portal, when you click on a user on the on the on the back end, there's literally like tags that different users have that says like, it's not shadow ban, it's whatever their verbiage is. But essentially shadow ban suppress okay so it's true and if you look at twitter it's a great example of the subtle expansion and overreach of corruption over time because the twitter bans didn't really start until like what 2015-16 it was basically during the the initial 2016 election that whole era when when this whole disinformation stuff fake news all that started right and it started really mainly with, with, you know, Trump himself starting to talk about fake news all the time. And then, uh, you know, Facebook had their famous Cambridge Analytica and all that scandal and Russian interference, all that. We know the whole story. And so that was like the, the, the start of it. And Twitter didn't just start then, you know, banning everybody. No, they started suppressing certain things here and there. Some of the most extreme people they did start to ban. And then over time you know, they become more emboldened, right? Because you kind of, it's like, it's, it's a slippery slope, right? That's, 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 that's the word I'm looking for, or the phrase, it's a slippery slope. And so it starts with, you know, a little suppression, a little, a little shadow ban here and there, a little, you know, actual ban here and there, and you can justify it, right? Because you can say, well, this guy was saying extremist views, and most people were like, yeah, okay, whatever. Because nobody wants to be the guy defending the extremist, you know? But then the definition of extremists starts changing, right? They start moving the goalposts. And then over time, they become more and more overt to the point where, you know, they ban the president of the United States, you know? And you can see in internal Slack channels from Twitter at the time and emails from from you know senators and all these people who are like what the hell is going on right has this ever happened before and and so the point is not about twitter the point is to show that these things don't just happen all at once they happen subtly over time and so to say that the ceo of the block had no influence over the coverage of the block 
is kind of foolish because culture happens top down. It just does in every organization. I don't care what you say. And you, you, you can say that again, was there, is there any overt coverage? No, probably not. Overt corruption of like, don't say this about SBF. No. But over time, could there have been? Yeah. And could it have been subtle? Yeah. And that shouldn't surprise anyone. Again, and it, this isn't to pick on the block just because that's, you know, they were the, the topic of the week. But it's all of them. It's all of them. And, and the broader point in all of this, what I'm kind of getting to, is that you need to be less trusting of everybody in, in, in crypto, in finance, you know, maybe the world, frankly, but we're going to stick to crypto here because everyone in some way or another is bought and paid for, whether it's their own bags that they own. Like I said, if, if it's a, you know, a hedge fund manager going on a podcast and talking, you know, or a CNBC interview, whether it's, you know, a, a news outlet being funded by certain investors who also invest in other projects, you should take everything with a grain of salt. And frankly, you should probably take everything with uh, assuming that there's some type of false truth here. I don't want to say a lie, because I think overt lies are much easier to catch. But false truths are much more gray. And this kind of gets me into the clear pill. Um, is what I call it. I know some other people have used that term before. I'm stealing it. I don't care. The clear pill, it's kind of a play on, on the red pill, the black pill, whatever. And it essentially what the clear pill is, is accepting the real reality. Uh, and the real reality of trading and investing is that trading and investing is war, All right? You are at war with everybody, whether you like to think it or not. Because at the end of the day, you're here to make money, right? You are here to create profits. And those profits have to come from somewhere. And those profits are coming from someone else. Now, crypto is not zero sum, it is positive sum, right? I mean, you can see that just in like total market cap over time. But it's not positive sum enough for all of us. It's only positive sum enough for some of us to win. There's got to be losers. There's always going to be losers. And the losers are going to be the ones who can't face reality. The losers are going to be the ones who are surprised when information comes out about some media outlet potentially being compromised. Because if you don't know that, and this isn't like a slight, you know, this is something that you have to, if, 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 if you're like, oh, well, that's me. I'm not, I'm not giving this as a slight. I'm saying that this is something that you have to learn easy, either the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is just listen to me right now. The hard way is, you know, go through the pain yourself, right? I, you know, I've learned through pain, okay? Trust me, I've taken horrible losses. I've gotten my, 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 my gut punched many, many, many times, right? And then that's life. And that's what it takes to really learn, right? And you have the scars that you remember, right? You know, you have these metaphorical scars. And in, in, in my case, my scars are spreadsheets, okay, that I don't like to look at. 
You know, I've got spreadsheets that I don't look at it anymore of old P&Ls, but sometimes you got to open them and just remind yourself of what happens when you lose track of the truth, of the real truth. And, and when I say don't trust anyone and trading is war, I don't mean for you to become a cynic because that's the mistake a lot of people make. That would be the black pill right? A lot of people, and you definitely see this in crypto, right? You see tons of people in crypto become totally blackpilled, right? Once they take those massive losses, they say crypto's a, it's a scam industry. It's, it's nothing's ever going to happen here. You know, you can't even make money. It's a rigged game, right? It's cope. And it's, 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 it's easy to become a cynic, right? It's, easy to be a cynic in life. That's the easy path. The hard path is accepting the truth, right? The hard path is swallowing the clear pill. Most people don't want to do that. It's a thick, tough pill to swallow. Okay, you got to take a lot of water to swallow the clear pill. But once you do, it's the reason I call it the clear pill is because it gives you clarity. It's like it's like you've been living in a fog your whole life and it's it the fog is cleared, right? You can see clearly now, you know? There's there's a beauty in accepting the truth. You know, you can call it kind of the the Zen Buddhist way of trading, whatever you want to call it, but it's like accepting the markets as they are, not as you want them to be right? Everyone comes into markets wanting to be right, wanting their convictions and beliefs to be right. And they try to force their beliefs into their trading. And that is how you lose money time and time again. And you will keep losing money until you learn that lesson. And it's a hard lesson to learn. And it's a ever going everlasting battle for your whole trading career. I still fight it myself. I'm still a new trader. You know, I've only been doing it for a few years. Okay. I'm not, I'm not some seasoned veteran. Okay. But I learned quicker than others is kind of what, what I found because there's a lot of people who have been around the block longer than I have, and they still don't realize this. They still don't get it. You know, people just don't get it. It is a game. Okay. It's a game and you have to realize that you have enemies. And that even people who you think you can trust the most, you probably can't. And again, that doesn't mean you should be cynical. You just need to accept the fact that most people are self-interested. And even if they're not trying to be biased, even if they're not trying to do anything wrong, they kind of naturally are going to be, right? It's just, it's just the nature of markets. If it comes down to it, if it comes down to them taking losses, or you taking losses, it's gonna be you. And you need to think the same way. It, it, it's, just a, it's just a reality. But like I said, once you, once you kind of accept this, it really becomes clear, you know? And, and it took me a while to accept this. It's like, like, I kind of knew this, but then you kind of are in denial, right? That's like, it's it, the first stage of the clear pill is you're still in denial. You're kind of like, yeah, that's probably true. You're probably right. But you don't really wanna believe it. You still want to believe in your initial theories and, and, and utopic ideas and visions of crypto and markets. But once you take the pill, it really it really just makes things, it clears the fog. Like I said, it clears the fog and, and you can see things clearly and you, you just become kind of like 
zen. I mean, really, it's like negativity and positivity don't really affect you anymore. You just, you just, you know, let things bounce off of you, right? And that's what you need to do to make money as a trader, right? You need to be unemotional. You need not get attached to things. That's it's the hardest, hardest, hardest thing to do. It's so cliche. Everybody knows it. Nobody, nobody thinks, oh, I need to be an emotional trader. Of course not. But it's it's so hard. It really is. Um, you know, I've been reading. I shift the book right here. Uh, I you know George Soros. He has this you know theory of reflexivity. I'm sure many of you have heard about it. I've watched all his lectures and all that on YouTube and and. Um, read like you know blogs about it, but I never really read the source material. So I finally, I finally in this in this kind of downtime in crypto, I, I've been reading more, and uh, so I finally the book book right here. Started reading it um, a few days ago, and he says exactly that. It's so good. He's so right. Um, you know, there's a funny anecdote in it. His whole thing, basically, to sum up, uh, is you know, he, I call it the clear pill. He calls it basically the, uh, theory of reflexivity and the, he called the human uncertainty principle going off of like Heisenberg's uncertainty principle with, uh, you know, in physics. Uh, and he basically says that, uh, you know, humans, especially in, in markets and finance, because you're, you're not just predicting the future. You're also trying to act on it. It creates these complexities that can't be easily understood by economics. And so he's at this, he's at this, uh, in the introduction, you know, he's at this uh, school at this at this economics, you know, college or whatever. And the professor invites him to speak and he's speaking, and he's giving this theory and he's saying how like, um, the theory of of the the efficient market is basically bullshit, right? That, that's what he says. And, and he is saying how, you know, this is a great thing that academics love to talk about, but he says, in reality, markets are not efficient. And he says, you're a fool if you think so. And, you know, of course, some student, you know, raises their hand and says, but sir, are you really going to deny all of the years of academic research and, and scholarly reports that, that have shown the efficient market hypothesis? And he's like, yeah. Because, you know, if those professors, those economists were so smart, they would make money, right? If they're so smart, why aren't they rich, right? Why are they teaching at a college? Why are they not the most brilliant traders on Wall Street? Why are they not worth $200 million and instead making 120 grand and hoping to get their uh, pension when they retire? Because they're wrong. Because in academia, you can get away with not accepting the truth, right? I think about this with politics a lot too. Uh, not to go political, but I think about politics in terms of you have all these different ideologies, right? And really, there's not a lot of consequences to people's ideologies being wrong, like the average person. Obviously, if you're actually in power and like ruling, it's different. But, you know, the average person, they can have pretty much any ideology they want. And it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong, because there's no consequences to it, because they're never actually put to the test, right? It's like they can say whatever, and no one's ever going to like put them in charge of anything and test these things out. And so that's how you can get away with so much ideology crap. I mean, just crap. I mean, just there's a million YouTube videos and podcasts and, and, and books and anything, endless literature about just 
dog shit ideology that doesn't make any sense, but you can write, you know, a really beautifully written prose and make it sound good and wrap it in some bullshit and people will buy it, right? And the thing with finance is that people try to do that too. And in academia, you see this a lot. And that's why I think a lot of traders don't really, you know, give any, any salt to economists or people who work in, in economic academia. Because, you know, we can actually test if we're right or not. You know, in finance, if you have an ideology, we can test it. You know, are you making money or are you losing money? It's kind of that simple. And trust me, if you're wrong, you're going to find out pretty quickly. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about finance. And one of the things I love about it is there's not a lot of room for bullshit in finance. And and so, you know, that's why when we get back to this this lecture, this anecdote, you know, he's telling this student like, yeah, no, it's, it's bullshit. You know, he says, it's great. It says, you know, you guys have your theories and all that, but I actually practice. I'm, I'm trading in the real world. I'm the guy who people consider the, the greatest trader for a reason. And I'm telling you that it's bullshit what you're saying. And it's just true, you know, and it really, you know, it's, it's like I used to, cause I used to read all this stuff too, right? Like you, you know, behavior economics and Richard Thaler and all these guys, I used to read that stuff. And you know, they have this whole thing of the, 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 the cork, the, the core problem with with like economics is that it's all based on the idea of the the rational actor, right? Everything in economics is about people acting rationally, right? That that if this happens, then people will do this, right? That's that's basically all of behavioral economics summed up is like what happens if if we change this price or if the supply does this or if a government institutes this tariff this tax this subsidy whatever right all these million different things that they talk about how will the rational actor respond but the problem is that people are not rational okay people are irrational completely irrational in fact i would argue that most people are most of the time irrational and they have these brief periods of clarity of actual rationality and then they go back into their irrationality. And if you look at markets, it's, it's just true, right? How euphoric do people get? Even the really smart people get in like peak bull mania. I mean, you have brilliant people. I mean, I'm not taking away... Dude, I was super bullish, right? I mean, I, I became bearish faster than I think most people, but I didn't become bearish that early, right? I didn't sell the top. There's people who are brilliant that got emotionally, you know, attached to the idea. I mean, look at like Suzu is a perfect example. I, I genuinely think Suzu is a smart guy. You know, I've listened to lots of his podcasts on uh, on Common Core. I mean, that was one of my favorite podcasts last year that I used to listen to. And he's, he's a really smart guy, but even he kind of, you know, he fell for his own, in his case, he was really like a, a hubris thing. If he fell for his own super cycle theory, you know, he started talking about super cycle and everybody, of course, everybody, everybody on Twitter loves the idea of a super cycle in a bull market, right? Peak, peak pain is, you know, up only. Yeah, that's, that's some cope. Peak pain is everybody gets rich, right? Yeah. No, peak pain is what we're going through now. But that's an example of a smart guy who, became irrational, you know? And so if the, the smartest guys in the room consistently show that they are irrational most of the time, or at least I shouldn't say most of the time, but they are even susceptible to becoming very irrational. 
then how do you think the average person acts? You know, and it's just common sense too. I mean, just look. I sometimes, sometimes I laugh when I like read these academic journals and stuff because it's like, I'm like, do these people, do they like live in the real world? Do they live in the same world as me? Like sometimes I'm like Richard Thaler. When was the last time you went to a Walmart? You know, like have you? Do you understand what the real world is like? You know, I know you live in, I don't know where he lives. I'm not trying to pick on him specifically, but he did win a Nobel Prize, though. So, I mean, I, I, he does deserve being picked on. But, but, and that's like another point, right? Like, you know, people say, oh, he won a Nobel Prize, so he has to be right. It's like, that means nothing. Okay, that means absolutely nothing. The people who give out those awards don't know anything about finance. They're not traitors. And, and so, so this goes back to the, the clear pill. The clear pill is understanding that everybody is mostly irrational, that, that the human default state is irrationality. It's not rationality. And that markets are dog-eat-dog. Dog. Trading is war. And so when you kind of combine all these ideas together, that's what the clear pill is. It's understanding that you really shouldn't listen to anybody because they're either lying for their own benefit they're they're maybe unconsciously biased in different ways right or they're just completely irrational and you shouldn't list them anyways right it's kind of like like you know if you're going to give someone your money to manage what would be worse a con man or a fool and it's like it doesn't really matter because you're going to lose it either way right one guy's going to steal it from you one guy's just going to lose it but do you really care because your money's gone either way and, and that's what the clear pill is, that most people are either con men or fools in finance. And you just have to accept that and you have to look out for yourself. Even me, you know, don't trust me. Listen, listen, I, I'm here, to, I'm here to, to, to give you my thoughts, but I'm susceptible to everything too. I'm irrational. You know, I can be very irrational. I try my best to stick to my own clear pill thoughts, but I'm only human. You know, we're all only human. But the thing with, with the clear pill is at least it lets you kind of have this core uh, base of knowledge that you can kind of go back on and remind yourself of whenever you you get too ahead of yourself or too too full of yourself or anything like that. So so that's my, my kind of rant for the day. Um, let me know what you guys think. You know, I... I it is a harsh pill to swallow, you know, it is. It's, it, you don't wanna think that. We all come into crypto wanting for the technology and the future and all that. And the nice thing about the clear pill is you can realize, oh no, there is real technology here. The cynic pill, when people become totally cynical, you know, they get into like, oh, it's a everything in crypto is a scam. Just because there are scams, they think everything is a scam. And that's not true. I mean, I actually, you know, I've been doing a lot of kind of, trying to take myself away recently from like the 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 pure trading um profit maxing thoughts and just think a little more philosophically as best i can about crypto long term and you know i really actually do think that we had some real innovations this last cycle that just don't necessarily seem like it yet. I think stablecoins are the biggest by far. I don't think people fully, you know, some people have articulated this, but I don't think people fully understand yet how big of a deal stablecoins are going to be uh, in the future. Because you have this international payment rail now 
that didn't exist before and is superior. You know, one of the problems with crypto that we always say is like, what does blockchain do better than this? Or what does crypto do better than this? And a lot of times the answer is crypto doesn't do a lot of things better than, uh, you know, Web2 yet. And I have a whole other rant about that. I can, I, I should save that for another episode. Web3 versus Web2 and how the adoption curve when people compare to like the early internet versus now is completely different and it's a flawed way of thinking. I'll probably do another episode on that because that'll be a whole other, whole other, you know, half hour rant. But the idea being that one of the things that is better about crypto is payments, like legitimately better. You know, I mean, when I have to go back to doing like a wire transfer and ACH transfer my bank and all that, it sucks. It really sucks. And when I do stablecoin transfers, it's like, you know, I've had people, uh, you know, I, I have people who work for me and it's like I pay them that live in another country and I pay them with, you know, USDT or USDC, you know, and it's great. It's instant. I don't have to use like you know, some, I don't have to use like PayPal or like, uh, I used to use, I used to use back in the day, like Western Union to pay people years ago for, for a, a different business. And it's like, God paying, like I had to pay someone in China. I remember years ago for West with Western Union. And it's like, it's the most asinine outdated methodology of paying someone. And now it's like, yo, what's your address? Here you go. Here's your money. Like that. And, and I think people in, in like the US and Europe don't really understand how big of a deal that is. Like even remittances, I, I mean, in other countries, often there's like 10% fees on remittances. Remittances are like, uh, if you live in one country, if you live in another country and you're trying to send money back home, um, you know, if you're like in Southeast Asia, I remember one of the early reasons why Tether got a lot of adoption was because I think, I think it was, was it Thailand and Malaysia, maybe, uh, I forget, some Southeast countries, uh, there was a lot of workers in each and like, like, uh, overlapping. And like, you know, they wanted to, the workers wanted to send money back home for their families. And they were paying like 10 12% fees to whoever the processor was just to do that cross border transaction. And then once tether came out, a bunch of them started using tether instead. You know, that's real. That's very, very, very real. Um, so that, that's one, I think stable coins are going to be huge. In fact, I, I, I think I tweeted this, uh, you know, a week ago or maybe further, but I think the real flipping might actually be stable coin market cap over total crypto market cap. Uh, and I think that, cause I think stable coins will be in the multiple trillions of market cap within probably within a decade, frankly. Um, and, and you know, there's different, you know, there's CBDCs will, will certainly come into that, but even regardless of CBDCs, I think it'll just based on the pure utility, the pure utility of it. Um, so that that that's like an example, and and I think that you know NFTs as the mania that they were got ridiculous, but I think there will be real utility with the forget the NFT like profile picture stuff, but in terms of a non fungible token, right? The, and the initial idea of it, I think there's a lot of applications there. And you know, we're starting to see more real world asset crossover with crypto too. So there, there, there are real developments like the don't become cynical uh, is, is kind of the point, just because there was mania and there was scams and all these things. You know, crypto as a whole is not a scam. Uh, it's just that unfortunately, there were a lot of scams, you know, and that's part of the game. That's part of the clear pill is accepting that there are liars, cheaters, scammers all over the place. And you have to be ready to 
operate in that environment. You know, crypto is very much, you know, it's cliche, but it's true. It's, it is the Wild West. It is the Wild West. And you got to, if you, if you want to play the game, you got to be ready to accept the truths of it. If you enter the arena, get ready to, to get cut. You know, it, it, it is an arena. And if you, you don't have to enter, that's the thing. You don't have to enter the arena. But if you do, you have to understand the rules of the game. And, and so that's, that's what the clear pull is. So anyways, thanks everybody for listening. I'll cut it short here. You know, as far as the markets go, it's pretty stable. I mean, not a whole lot going on this week. We'll see how the end of December goes and then going into January. I think January will be what we want to watch because uh, Januarys tend to be very indicative of how markets perform, especially in TradFi. Typically, um, if January is green, the year has a good chance of being green. If January is red, the year will probably be red. So I'm kind of waiting for January to see. But as far as what I'm doing, I kind of talked about it last time. Uh, just buying ETH mostly is the main thing I'm trying to uh, average into slowly over time over the next few months. And then some other alts here and there. But thanks so much for listening. Hey, I did an, a video on airdrops. That is one thing you definitely should do. Okay, go watch that video and get free money. I broke down a bunch of different airdrops that you can go get. It'll take you like an hour or two of work. Just sit down at your computer, do the airdrops. You'll qualify for a bunch of stuff. You'll make free money. Does it get any better than that? I mean, you don't have to trade. You don't have to be sweating over, you know, positions to try to make money. Just get free airdrops. So go watch that. It's the most recent video on the YouTube channel. Anyways, thanks so much for listening or watching. If you're on YouTube, I will see you all next time.